The Holy Gospel for this season, or this Sunday of Epiphany, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The next day, John the Baptist, again, was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I won't ask if you've had this experience, but rather how many times you have had this experience. That is, you've walked into a room, paused, looked around, and then asked some version of the question, why did I come in here again? What am I doing here? What am I looking for? Now, if you've, when you've done that, There are all kinds of ways to jog your memory, although none of them are entirely reliable. You can go back a few steps to what you were doing before and hope that some gear in your brain kicks back into working. Some familiar scent or sight or sound will remind you of what you were doing. You can just stand there for a moment and look around at the room and hope that some item or something will kick your brain back into gear. In time-honored fashion, you can groan with disgust at yourself, or you can burst out laughing, or you can shout to whomever might be in the house with you, does anyone know why I'm in here? One of these might work, or not. I don't think that's exactly what was happening when a few men who had been following John the Baptist walked up to Jesus, and he said to them, what are you looking for? I don't think that these soon-to-be Jesus followers had misplaced something or walked up and forgotten what they were doing. Although, maybe something about them, the way they looked, the way they acted, seemed a little disoriented. They must have looked like they were looking for something, or Jesus wouldn't have asked them the question. They must have been looking for something, or they wouldn't have walked away from the lives they had to follow John the Baptist, And then they wouldn't have left John and decided to try following Jesus instead. What were they really looking for? These weeks immediately following Christmas in the church's calendar are called the season of Epiphany. It's supposed to be a season of realization, of new knowledge, of trying our best to understand what what happened at Christmas, the birth of this baby and a small town in Palestine a couple thousand years ago, is also a global earth-shaking event. 
how we can somehow have new understanding of that in the season of Epiphany. The thing is, though, that the word Epiphany often conjures up a sort of sudden momentary breakthrough. The kind that you're generally hoping for when you walk into a room, can't remember why you're there, and then look around to try to figure it out. If you go backward a few steps or you ask for some help, you're trying to create an epiphany, a sudden realization. Oh, that's what it is, you want to say. Stand there in the room for a minute and you go, watering the plants, that's what I was doing. Or, oh, my overdue library book. That's why I walked in here. Either way, once you've had your epiphany, then you're done, right? You do the thing that you were supposed to do in the first place. Water the plants or pick up the book and put it in the car, go to the library. Generally complete whatever was interrupted by your momentary forgetfulness. It's an aha moment, right? Not an aha process. (laughs) When we ask ourselves what we're looking for, we're often hoping for a pretty quick, maybe immediate answer. And maybe those early Jesus followers were too. Maybe that's what they were looking for when they bounced from John to Jesus. Maybe that's why when Jesus asks them what they're looking for, they don't quite have an answer. So instead they ask Jesus where he's staying. Maybe if they stay with him or near him, he'll say something or do something which will finally give them the epiphany they want. Aha, they'll say. That's it. That's who we should be or what we should do. And then they can move on. But when Jesus responds to their their question, Rabbi, where are you staying, they say, He doesn't exactly answer them. He doesn't draw them a map. He doesn't give them an address. Instead, he extends an invitation. Come and see. The Gospel of John plays a lot with language about seeing and looking. And it pushes us to think about the difference between just noticing something, observing that it's there, or just noticing a person around and, and really, really seeing them. About the movement from that brief noticing or seeing to really understanding somebody. So it tells us lots of stories about how people see Jesus, but they don't really get him. They don't understand him. Or they see what he does, but they don't really comprehend what that stuff means. Most of the quick epiphanies in the Gospel of John, the aha moments, are good beginnings. But that's what they are, a beginning, not an end. It seems that in John's Gospel, anyway, epiphany is not a moment. It's a journey, sometimes a long one, one foot in front of the other a little bit at a time. So maybe if we asked each other this morning that same question that Jesus asked, what are you looking for? You might come up with a few things, at least immediately, a few epiphanies. Maybe today you're looking for joy. Maybe you're looking for a meaningful relationship in your life. Maybe you're looking for the willpower to keep your New Year's resolutions. 
Maybe you're looking for a new hobby, something creative and different to do. But many of the things that we're really looking for are a lot harder to see or recognize or understand. Maybe deep down we're looking for a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Because there's this nagging feeling that only talks out loud to you at 2 o'clock in the morning when you wake up, telling you that something in, in life is not quite right. Or maybe you're looking for some way, any way, to shift the violence and fear and hatred in the world toward justice and mercy. But everything you do, as hard as you might try, feels like just one half of a drop in an endless ocean. Or maybe you're looking for hope in the midst of depression or physical pain or some way in which your body seems to have turned against you. Maybe you're looking for help to make a decision that has no clear path or a way to say goodbye to something or someone that you need to let go of but you don't know how. It turns out that a lot of the things we're looking for are more likely to be slow epiphanies than aha moments. Journeys rather than destinations. Invitations rather than answers. And while we might wish otherwise, I frequently do, the good news in today's gospel is that this kind of slow, patient, steadfast, faithful epiphany is just the kind Jesus is interested in too. Come and see, he says to us. Come and see not just a moment, but a way of life in which we learn to truly see and understand each other and ourselves. Truly see the world in its hurt and its beauty and find ourselves stumbling into epiphanies over and over again. Another way to ask the question <clears throat> is to ask, what were you looking for when you walked through the door today here? Are you looking for companionship in your questions? Or just human company? It's really good. <laughs> A reminder that you're not alone in this life. Are you looking to be creative, for example, to make music together, to sing together, join our voices in ways that, honestly, we don't get many chances to do in the world anymore? Are you looking for opportunities to be involved in a larger community, to take the faith that so often lives and gets stuck in our heads and translate it into your hands and your feet? Are you just looking, honestly, for a few moments of quiet? in a chaotic world, or friends that you can connect with and ask questions of, an opportunity for your kids to grow in their relationship with God and with a community and with you and with each other, a halfway decent cup of coffee, we have that, or maybe something you just can't put words to yet, something, you'll know it when you see it. Those are just a handful of the answers that we might give, but hardly any of them are going to be a moment. They are journeys, long-term projects, slow epiphanies that evolve over time. Relationships 
justice-making, music-making, prayer connection. Maybe if we're lucky, we get bright flashes of realization along the way and sudden growth, but largely this stuff takes patience and energy over years and years, decades, even a lifetime. 94 years ago today, there was an epiphany, a baby born in Atlanta, Georgia, a baby boy. His father was a pastor, and he eventually became one too. At age 25, he was the pastor of a church in Montgomery, Alabama, with a wife and young daughter at home, when a local woman named Rosa Parks decided to refuse to give up her seat on a bus to a white man as the local law then declared she should do. Rosa Parks on that day was a 42-year-old NAACP leader, organizer, and activist. That epiphany on the bus, that refusal to give up a seat, was brought to the Women's Political Council of Montgomery, who had been thinking about organizing a bus boycott, but they needed a reason, they needed a cause, and because Rosa Parks was such a respected person in the community, they decided that this epiphany was it. A woman named Joanne Robinson, who led that council, organized a group of colleagues to oversee and coordinate the boycott. And as part of that, she nominated the 25-year-old preacher at her own church, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., to help lead the effort. That boycott was intended to be an aha moment, brief, an epiphany. But in the end, it lasted over a year, 380 days to be exact. Along that journey, participants faced harassment, intimidation, and violence. Homes and churches, including Dr. King's own parsonage, were bombed. By the time it was done, Dr. King was 27 years old, and he was a nationally renowned civil rights leader. Dr. King's life was full of aha moments, moments in which he was challenged to be more than he himself had intended to be or thought he could be, and moments in which he called us to be more than we think we can be. In 1968, in the midst of a sermon he gave not long before he was murdered, Dr. King said, we shall overcome because the arc of a moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The thing is, it doesn't bend in a moment or a sudden epiphany or a realization. It doesn't bend when we lose heart or patience or figure there's nothing we can do. We're just one person. It doesn't bend when we figure that we're too young or too old or not qualified enough or not brave enough or just generally not enough. It bends slowly, very slowly, when we grab the end of it and pull. When we listen to Jesus' invitation to come and see, to come along the way of a slow persistent, sturdy, patient epiphany that takes time, even a lifetime, but is never extinguished. When we come and look 
for the God who is looking for us, who's calling us to grab that moral arc and pull, to build communities of justice and care, to build churches of such love and authentic welcome that anyone anywhere can walk into them and say, that's what I was looking for. It's going to take a while, a lifetime, but it comes. One epiphany at a time. Amen.